Your move, creep. Wish me luck, Freezer. You go, Ben Coco. Dino DMA. Son, your ego is writing checks your body can't cash. It's the only thing I know how to do. It's a good-looking boy. I'm a member of the Imperial Senate. That's right, Lord! Welcome to Earth. You crossed the line. You know, that's just like, uh... Your opinion, man. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Retrograde Podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about older movies. We talk about how they were made, how they were received, and whether or not they hold up. I am Austin. And I'm George. So, Austin. Yes. This is an exciting week. It is an exciting week. Because... We're going to be talking about a very special film. Now, all the films that we watch on this podcast are special, but this one is even extra special. Do you want to know why? Why? Because it is another one of my favorite movies. Would you say top five? Oh, top top three. Top three. Oh, yeah. wow. This is one of my top three favorite films. The first one that we talked about. Children of Men. Children of Men, which is I recommend to everyone. It's a fantastic film. Great. It's a great movie. Great Christmas film. <laughs> and, oh, yeah, sure. And this is a great summer action film, in my opinion. Uh, I, I love this movie. I fucking love this movie. But you are not a fan. I mean, I like it, but I kind of don't like it at the same time. It's just, it's something that, like, uh, it didn't leave an impression on me that it did for so many others. See, this is time for me to play doctor or therapist, uh, you know, Dr. Phil, Dr. Montoya. I'm going to sit back in my chair, you know, put my glasses on. And how did this movie make you feel, Austin? Did we say what movie we're talking about yet? Oh, have we not? Oh, I'm so excited. I'm ready to jump in. I'm ready to start <laughs> talking about the fucking thing. We are talking about 2011's Drive, directed by Nicholas Winden Refn, starring Ryan Gosling, the one and only, mm, creme de la creme, my favorite, Tres Leches person. Tres Leches? Mm -hmm. three, three milks? Yeah. What? Yeah, it's a, it's a Mexican cake, Tres Leches. It's like the whitest bread you could find, but it's incredible. Just, mwah! Oh, okay. I was like, what? I've never heard that before, that He's expression. A, wait, well, it's not an expression. I just thought of it right now. But I mean, have you oh, had, okay. <laughs> have you had, a, have you had Tres Leches cake? No, I've never had it. it, it I'm not like a super big fan of milk. I mean, like, I like milk teas, but mm -hmm. that's, that's about it. Okay. Condensed milk, I guess, unlike the, um, like snow uh, the ice how do you call it it's like an asian dessert they have like mochi in there and boba sometimes and red bean Ooh, i have no idea man uh it's it's pretty good i was like is is he talking about a parfait no <laughs> no i'm not talking about something you can get from mcdonald's okay <laughs> the way you were describing it, i was like wait that's uh, i guess i don't know show me a parfait that has mochi in it please fair enough <laughs> But uh, yet, yeah, no, so this is a fantastic film. Uh, but Austin, you are not in love with it as much as I am. So time to, you know, let's rewind a little bit. Let mm -hmm. me, I'm Dr. Montoya right now. I'm sitting back. I've got my okay. glasses. Armchair therapist time. So Austin, why do you not like this movie? Uh, I think it's because it wasn't what I expected. I expected like a cool, like 
driving action movie that's like very suspenseful and like thrilling and i don't think it's very thrilling there's some scenes that are like wow that's really cool like the opening chase sequence where he's like he's like waiting in the car right and he's like gripping the the wheel and everything I'm like ooh, ooh, what's happening what's happening I'm, I'm into this and then he escapes from the police well like the the guys come and he's like you're throwing the weight off the car. You're only supposed there's only supposed to be two of you. And then they like kill the third guy and then they're like, Alright, let's go. And they Wait, 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 wait. I don't think you're talking about drive. That's a drive. No No, I I'm being I'm not even look, I'm not even shitting you. I'm not like I'm I'm not playing an act. I think you're talking about the wrong movie. What movie am I talking about? Then? I have no idea, but that's not the beginning of Drive. I mean the He's waiting in the car. Yeah. And then the the thieves the people he's driving they come to the car and there's too many of them no that doesn't happen this is going to be very embarrassing for you or me after we watch this movie bro this is one of my favorite films it's not me it's you okay you're either thinking about a wrong movie or you're thinking about the scene very differently i remember one of the people is killed because they like the the weight distribution is it is going to mess up his driving and then he goes into like the stadium and gets away like it's a really cool scene because he's not the way he's driving it's like they don't know that i'm that my car has the thieves in it okay now they know now i have to drive a little bit it's it's really cool like car chase it's very like serious okay so you do remember the scene it's just yeah. You're misremembering. I'm pretty it. sure I'm okay. Well, maybe I am because this is your favorite movie. Why should I doubt you, George? Exactly. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. I'm always right. And my memory is always on point. As we mm-hmm. know from 30 episodes. <laughs> yeah, your memory's perfect. No, 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 no. But I, <laughs> I am I am being serious though. You're going I think so. You do remember the big beats yeah. about the movie. Yeah. Of and the then intro, there's this but- there's this other car chase uh with Oscar Isaac. Uh well after what happens to him. Um okay. and then and then there's that elevator scene, right? That's yes. really cool. Let's let's keep but it a, uh, spoiler yeah. free of spoilers because we're still in the first sure. half. But Everything mm-hmm. you are saying does happen in the film, but you definitely don't remember that first scene exactly how it plays out because there's no mm-hmm. weight distribution scene. We'll save this for when we come back. Just because. Yeah. I, it's, it's like there's some really. My point was that there's some really thrilling scenes and action scenes, but I. Those are the only ones that I really liked. There's other scenes in the movie that I feel like the. Um, it's kind of like it reaches its highs too early in the movie for me. So that the rest of the movie just kind of plays out and I'm just like, I'm not like, you know, on the edge of my seat anymore. Mm-hmm. Okay. Does that make sense? No, That's what I remember like feeling about that movie. No, no, no. I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about because I've definitely felt that with other films where I'm like, wow, you started off with an incredible scene. You have you weren't able to capitalize on that for the rest of the film. And there's like an hour and a half left or something. Yeah. I definitely know. I definitely know that feeling. I can't recall a movie like that right now. I kind of felt that way about The Hateful Eight. Mm. Uh, Because I think the first half is pretty solid. But then I there's like this flashback scene and it kind of explains everything. And at that point, I'm like not as I'm not like tense anymore. 
You know what I mean? No, no, I understand 100%. Because up to that point, you know things are off in the Hateful Eight. Yeah. You think yeah. you know things are off, but you don't know exactly how. And then there is that flashback scene, and it explains everything. And while you're ready to jump into the third act, because like now here you you know where all the pieces are at and stuff, it does remove some of the suspense. It removes some mm-hmm. of the, you know, what's like what's happening. Yeah. I personally did not feel that with this movie. I think well, why is it one of your top three movies? Because who who cares about what I think? Let's <laughs> let's let's get to you. Well, why do you love this movie so much, George? This movie. Let me, let me sit in your chair and go into your head. Okay. I went into the. This movie came out in 2011, and this was my first yes. year in college. I graduated in June of 2011 from high school. August. So that's when this movie came out. Or I don't know if it came out in theaters then, but I know that my UCI, our alma mater, had a special screening of it at in one of our uh, one of our classrooms that's big enough to like house a. It's like a it's like a theater. Yeah. Basically. And, you know, this is my first year out of home. My dorm mates are all cool and stuff, but I didn't no, Nobody really knew ev- everyone like and I was still kind of like there wasn't people that I immediately clicked onto at least at this point. It wasn't until later on where I was like, oh, hey, what's up, guys? Oh, oh, cool. Let's go get, you know, this was still kind of in the freshman period, like freshman period of freshman year. Right. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, and so and look, I, one of my favorite things is watching movies and they had this special screening. So a bunch of people were going. I'm like, fuck it, I'll go. I had seen the trailer for Drive and it, this movie did not interest me at all from the trailer. Wow, really? It didn't. It did nothing Wild, because I was so into this movie from the trailer. I was like, I don't want to, I don't care. The only reason I went to go watch it was because, well, a bunch of people from my dorm are watching it. And you want to make friends with your dorm mates? At, at least watching this movie together will give us something to talk about, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so fuck it. You know, worst case scenario, I don't like it. But I end up bonding with my dorm mates and stuff. And it's a few hours away, you know, like... Where we stayed, there's only the University Town Center, which is like a small little right. shopping center. And it has it has like a, an indie theater, which I loved being so close to an indie theater because I wouldn't have to drive hours to see or ride the bus because I didn't have a car in college well, same, to see a movie. Same thing. I, I didn't have a car and I wanted to go see like the big blockbuster movies, which this theater really didn't have. It had the Sapphires and it had some... Chinese war film that I had never heard of. So I was oh, like, Red, Red Cliff? No, that was, I don't think it was Red Cliff. So whatever. I go watch this movie, and from the first scene, this movie just hooks me. It grabs mm-hmm. me instantly because, because that action scene in the very beginning, that car chase could have played out very different if you had put it in, other, in another director's hands. Yeah. Not Nicholas, though. This car chase is very grounded almost real very realistic but it's just as suspenseful and exciting yes and then right after that where he escapes right like you like you said he escapes passing the cops that's when the song by kavinsky it's called the uh, night uh, night call it's night call by kavinsky mm-hmm. ba, 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 ba. it's all oh, and it's like great synthwave music with the yeah. with the pink neon letters and it's just like shots of LA and Ryan Gosling driving I was like I love this vibe like everyone gets it yeah it's very like did you ever play Hotline Miami yes it yeah that's what I liked about this movie do you know why I, I it gave me the same vibe do you know why I started playing Hotline Miami 
Because of Drive? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it just hooked me. I loved everything. Mm -hmm. I loved the vibe. I loved what they were doing. And I'm enjoying it and everything, everything that's going on. I love it. Um, It's moody. Uh, It's really the colorful. I love this movie because of the movie, but I also love the experience that it gave me because halfway through the film, uh, something violent happens Mm -hmm. and it almost comes in halfway through the film and nobody was expecting it. Again, I didn't, the trailer didn't give away much. I didn't know how violent this movie was going to get, but something happens. The reaction that the audience had to that scene was so wild and insane. It was so loud and everyone was either gasping they were in awe. They were uh, closing their eyes, covering their eyes. I remember I-, I was sitting at the end of the aisle, right? Mm-hmm. Like we were sitting on the right side of the theater and I, w- I had the aisle seat, right? I turn to my right and I start looking at everyone's reaction and they're either covering their eyes. They're like in awe. Just it's insane. And it ends with this iconic shot of Ryan Gosling. And the theater just erupts in applause and cheering. And from there, the movie just keeps going. And I I loved it. I walked out of it and I was just like, I didn't know I wanted to have that kind of experience. It, it was cool. It was sexy, but it was violent and it was scary and suspenseful. And I was just like, dude, it was so emotional. It's so moody. It's so emo. And it just spoke to that like emo side of Jorge, you know what I mean? It, to that like hot topic side of me, you know? Oh, it was <laughs> okay. It was great. I, I fucking I loved it, and I haven't stopped watching mm-hmm. it since. And it was, I think I only saw it the one time. Oh, I've I've seen this movie, pro- probably of like at least ten times, maybe. And it was a great conversation. It, it really did bring us together as a house. Cause I, that was something that we talked about for hours and I loved it so much. And one of my friends from the dorm got me the DVD of the movie. Nice. When she gifted it to me, we watched it on one of the TVs and we're like, fuck this movie just so great, man. I, all right, let's talk about 2011 yeah. as a year. I don't think we've done 2011 yet, right? No, we have not. I think this might be uh most recent movie. Yeah. Yeah. Still 10 years old, though. That's wild. 10 years old by the time this episode comes out. No, no, no. It'll it'll be almost 10 years old by then. Yeah. Because this movie was released, wide release, uh, September 16th, 2011. Mm -hmm. And the weekend it came out, it was number three at the box office. Can you guess what number one was? (sighs) I don't know. Some Marvel movie? Nope. Marvel was in its infancy back then. Like this was like Cap- well, Captain the year America. that Thor and yeah, and Captain America came out. Okay, but number one movie was the Lion King, the three D re release, the three three D release. You're kidding number one me. At the box office. Nope. Number one at the on that uh, weekend. Drive was number three. Mm-hmm. Number two is Contagion, a movie that. Came up again recently, yeah. right? During the pandemic, mm-hmm. that was like the number one movie on streaming. Yep. <laughs> in March and April of 2020. I think most rented movie in the pandemic. The highest that Drive ever got to was number two 
uh, during the weekday, but then it went it went down after that. Usually, like the opening weekend is like the most money that that movie makes in like one weekend. Typically, is. yeah, the opening weekend is the one the 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 weekend when it makes the most money. Uh, yeah. Every weekend after yeah. that, it decreases. It just depends on mm-hmm. how much. Yeah. Uh, so the budget for this movie was fifteen million, which is pretty low mm-hmm. compared to like an action movie, other action movies. Yeah. Uh, the box office return was eighty-one million, and I think that was a global number. Mm-hmm. And at the domestic box office for twenty eleven, the number one movie of the year was Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part Two. Oh. The last Harry Potter movie. Shit, yeah. And then you had Transformers, Dark of the Moon. Oh, love that. Not Dark Side of the Moon, Dark of the Moon. Number three, The Twilight Saga, Breaking Dawn Part One. The Hangover Part Two is number four. Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides, number five. Number six, Fast Five. Number seven, Cars 2, number 8, Thor, number 9, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, number 10 was Captain America, the first Avenger. Whoa. So pretty much everything here is a reboot or sequel. Yes. Wild. And I guarantee you, (laughs) Drive is better than most of, if not all those movies, in my opinion. A few exceptions, obviously, that final Harry Potter film is fantastic. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. I prefer I like Drive, but most people on the planet will say Harry Potter is a better film. <laughs> uh, also coming out this year is The Help, Bridesmaids, uh, X Men First Class, Rango, The Green Lantern, Mission Impossible, Ghost Protocol, Ooh, yeah. True Grit, which is kind of uh, Haley Stanfield's breakthrough movie. She's fantastic. She's a little kid. I don't think yeah. she's ever acted badly. No, she's great. She's always good at she's always great in every everything she's in. That that girl's gonna get an Oscar. 100 percent I'm I'm looking forward to the showdown between her and Florence Pugh in the Hawkeye series. Oh my god. Um, that's gonna be so <laughs> cool. And that's the thing, like they're both really talented actors. They're so good. Yeah. Fuck. Just the talent there. God damn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, True Grit is a fantastic film. Cohen Brothers. Yeah. Yes, it's actually actually a remake of a John Wayne movie, I think. Which I've never seen. The I think John Wayne. Yeah, it is. I haven't either, but like at this point, like I don't want to. <laughs> um, so number so Drive was actually the hundredth highest grossing film at the domestic box office at thirty four million, but it made eighty four million worldwide. So it was a profitable film because yeah. fifteen against eighty five, like you made some money. Yeah, there. no, no, they did. It was a successful film. Like, it scored yeah. really well. It got Best Director at the at Cannes, I believe. Uh, at the Cannes Film Festival, I think it won Best Director. Or at a film festival, Nicholas won Best Director. Um, and it, it made its money back. And, some, and more, some more there. I just, I love this film so much. And I wanted it to succeed even more, you know? And just mm-hmm. hearing that it's at the 100th spot is like, come on, guys. What the fuck? Why are we so vanilla? Why do we always choose cookies and cream, right? It's just... And it it, 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 and it keeps happening. 
look at the box, the top 10 box office for the films recently. Everything's a Marvel or DC film or the or a Pixar. I was just like, come on. Can we can you guys watch something that's maybe a little bit better? God damn. As a dude that loves margaritas religiously, I like a beer. Like, get some bitter with your sweets, goddammit. Sorry. I'm ranting. Mm-hmm. You're ranting. Hey, what was the last movie you saw in theaters, George? Uh, what was... Last film I saw in theaters. Uh, oh, I saw, um... I caught a moment to watch Chong-Chi. Chong-Chi? Chong-Chi, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Why? What happened? I just, I just asked you to make a point. And you made it for me. No, so fair enough. Let's keep this show going. <laughs> no, but I. That, but that's the thing. Like, I just wanted this movie to succeed more. I think it, it's a movie. It's, it had success. I wanted more of it. I don't think people appreciate this film enough because I think it does some pretty interesting things, and it's stylish. You know, it's very stylish. I think that's the one thing that I really liked about the movie. I liked the the vibe. It's just like the the rest of the movie. It's like. Hmm. I think I'll watch Baby Driver instead. <laughs> if there's any any if there is any shortcoming, it is kind of on the story, which I can admit. But what this movie sells is the vibe. You can't argue with it. You either like it or you don't. And if you don't like it, it's because the vibe isn't for you. Are you a fan of this director's follow up films? I think it was Neon Demon. Was Neon Demon next? was the one that oh, he and did for Only God, God Forgives. I do like him. Granted, I like him because I like him. <laughs> mm. This one was like a very like high, critically acclaimed movie. It has a pretty high score on the tomato meter. It has right? like a 90, what was it? 93? 93 out of 268 critics. That's pretty good. Yeah. But his other films, I think Bronson was, was received pretty well too. And that's also his film. Um, but Neon Demon... And Only God Forgives, it doesn't seem like critics really like those films. So I've seen a lot of this man's films, even mm-hmm. even back to some of the older films that he made in the 90s. Pusher 1, Pusher 2. I still haven't seen Pusher 3. Pusher 3 has Mad Mokasins in it. It's fantastic. I've seen Ooh. Bronson with Tom Hardy. His performance is fantastic. Valhalla Rising, Mad Mikkelsen again. That is like a movie about Vikings and stuff, which I don't really give a shit about that era but that movie made me care <laughs> okay that movie has a vibe only god forgives and neon demon are very uh polarizing mm-hmm. like they are not like to a certain extent drive is a hollywood blockbuster film just done very differently okay right it's filmed in a different way only god forgives and neon demon are respectively a revenge film and a horror film done very unconditionally. Very extre- he leans on his art house tendencies. And mm-hmm. it's polarizing. I like Only God Forgives. And I like The Neon Demon. But they are not my favorites by far. And I could definitely understand people being like, I did not like that movie. But I still really like him. Just because he is a very visual director. He knows how to put a, a vibe there. He knows how to set an atmosphere. And, you know, I'm not always a big fan of his stories. But they're executed well. They're acted well. They sound great. So as a whole, you know, I still enjoy yeah, it. Yeah, I believe Drive was nominated for an Oscar for the sound editing. It, it did a lot of good stuff. And yeah, like the it like if you look at all the pieces and how to make a movie like technically, 
right? It's it's pretty well done. Oh, absolutely, yes. But there's there's other things to movies, then that's sometimes what people take away. They don't they don't really look at all the technical stuff. I mean, ultimately you're not supposed to. Do you know what I mean? Like we yeah. we pay attention to this stuff because we've been watching movies and paying and studying them, reading about them for years right mm-hmm. we, we can't stop doing that if you're just watching movies just to watch movies yeah you really shouldn't notice what kind of cameras they're using what what you know you should just feel the movie and just take it as as yeah as you're getting it and yeah drive isn't a uh isn't a typical blockbuster film there's actually and you know what there's a story about a woman who watched this movie that i'm going to share about in the second half but Ooh, I think okay. she, I think she encapsulates a lot of how how most people felt about this movie, even to you to a certain extent. Except she didn't just watch the movie and forget about it. She took action against it. <laughs> Whoa, action against it. Yep. Okay. She she was like, nope, this movie's not gonna win. <laughs> so, but but yes, um. This movie just spoke to me so much because it it almost just like made me discover things I like in movies. You know, mm-hmm. I like how things look. I like how they sound. I like the vibe. I like the um, just the way the story's told, how moody it is. It's a very moody film. Ryan Gosling is kind of sulking just around. You know, he barely talks. Yeah. He, you know, and. You know, it is a love story, which I'm a sucker for. I love romantic Jeez. films. It's a love story? Yeah. I mean, at, at at the heart, it is. He has a crush on his neighbor, and then, like, that's it? That's the love story? Well, no, Austin. There's more to it than that. You're just remembering everything wrong. I remember her with Oscar Isaac, who is also a career criminal. Well. What makes Ryan Gosling different? I guess he talks less. He talks a lot less. I guess that's that's that's, the, that's the key. This, he talks less. This movie made me go like, shit, I need to stop being less like Oscar Isaac and more like Ryan Gosling. But I this movie is is great. I love it. And yeah, it's it's definitely in my top three. When we go back and watch this movie, what I'm curious about is to see, like, did I just miss something? About this movie, because everyone I know likes this movie, except for like me, one other person who I know was it was like, didn't that movie kind of suck? And she was like, yeah, it kind of sucked. And I'm like, okay, I'm not crazy. (laughs) Um, But everyone else loved this movie. So I'm like, hmm, maybe there's something I missed. Maybe I can articulate better why I what I like about it and what I don't like about it, because I've only seen it the one time. That's why we do this podcast. Yeah. I'm curious to to see. Uh, I think the director has a kind of reputation for being uh, a little misogynist mm-hmm. in his movies. So I'm, I guess I'll take a look at that and see. Like, does does that claim hold any any weight? I guess in in Drive and and the car scenes too. I want to. Because I think at the time, I didn't feel like the movie should be called Drive because there was not enough driving for me. <laughs> but maybe there's something I missed about those car scenes. There is there is one thing that I've always been curious about. Um, this movie is actually based on a book. And there is also a graphic novel about this movie. I'm curious to oh. look up to see how similar they are, how different they are. Actually, though, to your point, something that you did bring up that is interesting is I also did hear that he tended to be a bit misogynistic. Um, 
there was something that he kind of admitted, but I mean, he didn't say like, oh, I hate women or anything. But I think that he kind of realized that maybe he under he underwrote a lot of women female characters because with Neon Demon, he wrote or he had the idea or the story or he also wrote it, but he also co-wrote that with a female writer. And I think I believe he got a female editor as well mm. because that movie deals with the fashion world so um, and the, the, the bulk of the cast is uh, are women. And I remember reading that like he what he did want to kind of escape his own tra- his own past trappings, right? Of underwriting female characters and stuff. That was something that he said. I don't have to find the interview where he says that. Um, so I am actually curious to see Drive from that angle because as of right now, there are two female characters that I know of, and I know what happens in the story, but maybe watching it uh an 11th time i'll get even more of a i'll see more to it uh yeah okay i yeah this movie is fantastic and i'm so excited to watch it again great i am too where can we watch this movie george i was gonna i was gonna watch it on the dvd (laughs) well it is available on peacock which is free. I guess it's on the free version of Peacock. So if you got Peacock, you can do that. It's also on Amazon Prime Video. It's on a YouTube and Apple and Voodoo and all that stuff for a small like three to four dollar fee. You know, it's funny. I have I have the digital version of this film. I have a DVD version of the film. I also have a Blu-ray of the film. I guess hit up George because he can lend you his copies various copies well, of the film i have it i bought a limited edition blu-ray version of the film that sounds expensive it was expensive uh it cost me a bit of money oh and i haven't opened it yet I don't know <laughs> what to, i don't know what to do with it because if i open it then yes it comes with a little notebook inside it has character posters and stuff so i could be I could, I could look at that, but then if I open it, then it's like, and look, I'm I'm not reselling it. I'm not reselling it, right? Like this is it's mine. It's funny because I was telling you how Leanna has all these plants, and you were like, "Why?" And here you are, telling me that you bought how how many hundreds of dollars did you spend on this copy? No, no response. So you spent a lot of money on this thing you haven't even opened for a movie you've already seen. My family listens to this podcast. They'll know how much <laughs> I spend it and they'll roast the shit out of me. Okay. Oh, it, I just think it's I just think it's funny how you're like, why do you have all these plants when like it, why did you spend so much money on a movie that you've already seen that you've never opened? God, it's so beautiful. <laughs> Fuck, I really don't know what to do with it. I'm holding it in my hands. I'm just like the temptation's real. It's fine. It's fine. You just understand that some sometimes people spend money on things that mean something to them that doesn't make sense to other people. That is true. You're absolutely right. God, I feel like Eve. Eve? Yeah, with that apple. But yeah, she would just keep the apple. She wouldn't eat it. She <laughs> would just show people, look at this apple. What are you doing? Don't eat it. Get the fuck out of okay, it. Anyway. <laughs> All right, guys. So we will be back with our discussion on Drive. See you in a minute.
drive for you, you get your money. You tell me where we start, where we're going, where we're going afterwards. I give you five minutes when we get there. Anything happens in that five minutes and I'm yours, no matter what. Anything a minute either side of that and you're on your own. I don't sit in while you're running it down. I don't carry a gun. I drive. You look like you're hard to work. Not if we understand each other. <sighs> Man, I really want to see Matrix 4. I'm so excited for it. I have not seen the third one yet. You haven't seen Revolutions? I've never seen Revolutions. Oh, Austin! What the fuck, bro? <laughs> Dude, I love, I love The Matrix, and I love The Matrix Reloaded, but people were, like, super upset about uh, Revolutions. And I was like, oh, I guess it was bad. I don't want it to taint my view of The Matrix. But I don't know. I have a friend who said, like, everyone is wrong. That one's actually really good. And you know, people said the same thing about Speed Racer. They said that one was really bad. And I watched it and like, this is one of my top five favorite movies. So I, I will I will go back to The Matrix before our December episode and watch all three of them. Yeah, well, you're going to have to because the, the fourth one coming out and the fourth one, it references some stuff from the third one. I have no so, idea. So I'm like, <laughs> you got to watch it now. I, yeah. I, but I'm. I'm partly skeptical, but um, I mean, look, man, I, I love the Wachowski sisters. Like, I love the bulk of the stuff that they've done. So, mm-hmm. I mean, even if this movie isn't great, I feel like I'm still going to enjoy part of it, even if it's just like the action or something. So uh, back to drive, George, I, I got to say, when I'm wrong, I'm wrong. And that line of dialogue that I was telling you about in the first part of this episode about we agreed three people and this weight, and if it's too much, then the weight. That's not in this movie at all. Mm. Do you know what movie it's from? Not Drive, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. It's The Transporter with Jason Statham. Oh, okay, okay. Do you remember that movie? I, they, I remember <laughs> the trailer of the guy looking through the peephole in the, in the door, and then like Jason, running, Jason Statham running towards it and knocking it down. Yeah, I think I saw the second one. I remember in, in the, towards the end of the first one, like he's getting to a fight with a bunch of guys and he's he like spills oil everywhere. And then he uses like bike pedals to give him better traction. And like everyone's slipping around, he's like just kicking people. And and it does like the, the insert shots of the bike pedals on the oil. So you can tell, oh, that's how he's moving around. It's, it's so silly. I kind of want to see enjoy that, that movie though. I, I do want to describing that. I'm like, huh, that sounds pretty interesting. I, I want to see that. I will say though, this already solves the debate of who's a better getaway driver, Jason Statham or Rygos. Cause Rygos isn't worried about the distribution of weight in his car. He, he, he deals with whatever situation and he drives Jason Statham. No, mate. Rule one, never change the deal. Deal is transportation for three men with a combined weight of 254 kilos. Yeah. Well, this is a new deal. An extra 80 kilos means we'll not make your destination on the gas I have allotted. So we'll stop and get more gas. Every stop we make exposes us. Every exposure increases the risk of getting caught. An extra 80 kilos means the Coney shock absorbers I installed for this job will not give us the ability to outmaneuver any police that might be chasing us. Which means if there is a chase, we lose our advantage. Which also increases the possibility of getting caught. I don't want to get caught. You don't want to get caught. 
Just drive the car, man, or you're gonna catch a bullet to the brains. And who's going to drive? Shotsy's asshole, I drive. At no point did Ryan ever worry about the weight distribution. So there you go. That's true. Ryan Gosling one, Jason, Jason Statham zero. Drive. Um, what, what did you think? Yeah. You start off. I mean, like, I feel like there's, I, 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 the first, the opening sequence, I'm like, yeah, this is cool. I like this music. And then it, it's, it starts off with a, with a lie that's, I think is really funny. Um, the, the Chevy Impala is the most popular car in California. There she is. Chevy Impala, most popular car in the state of California. No one will be looking at you. <laughs> well, I don't know back in 2011, but in 2021, it is not that. It's not. It, dude, it's not even in the top 10. Really? In, 20, in 2011, wasn't even in the top 30. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it was so easy to be spot. It's funny. You know what the most popular car in 2011 was in California? Honda Civic. Close. Honda Civic was number one in 2010. In 2011, it was a Toyota Prius, baby. Really? It started in 2011? <laughs> yeah. God, everyone I knew in Paramount drove a Honda Civic. I was like, Jesus fucking Christ. I don't ever want to see another Honda Civic. I don't want to get in another Honda Civic. They're so reliable. I guess. But it's funny because this, in a weird way, this calls this calls back to a joke in La La Land, also featuring mm -hmm. Ryan Gosling, where Emma Stone, I guess, drives a Prius and she's like, it's the, can you toss me my key? And he's like, which is it? It's the Prius. He looks in the in the box holding all the car keys, and it's just Prius, Prius, <laughs> Prius, all Priuses. It's like, which one? Yeah. Amer yeah. Imagine That's that Imagine that opening car chase with a Prius. That'd be pretty awesome. That would be, I feel like it'd be the same. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think audiences would be like, Prius. You know, I, I think they would take away from like the the serious moodiness of the of the film. It, and it would. Is, it it is pretty moody, and like so, like like I said, I was like into it, and then there comes a point in the movie where I'm like, oh, this is why I don't like this movie. <laughs> what is it? Um, it's all the the sentimental stuff with uh, Carrie Mulligan's character. Oh God, and. I'm that I remember watching it the first time and like checking the time, right? Mm, okay. And then when I watched it this time, I was doing the same thing at around the same part. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Austin! Do but the the I think the stuff that I like I like more now, but the stuff that I don't like, I really don't like this time. <laughs> uh, well, how do you want to break this down? What do you want to do? You want to talk about the good and then the bad? We could get into the bad or well. Maybe, maybe you would like to describe the story for your, when your top five, top three favorite movies of all time. Yeah. So that anyone out there listening will have some sort of frame of reference as to what we're talking about when we break down this film. Yeah. So this movie begins with Ryan Gosling on the phone with someone on the other end. And he's basically just describing his role in the upcoming robbery. He's saying that he, he's going to give them a five minute window. In those five minutes, he's responsible. Outside of those five minutes, they can fuck off. Um, it's it's a really interesting shot because you see that he has the route on a map, on a physical map. Yep, not on Google Maps. He has his route set up. He's watching the Lakers game. 
Um, I think it's a Clippers game. Oh, is it a Clippers? Yeah. Oh, sorry about that. I I don't know. I don't I don't know basketball, <laughs> man. But he's watching a baseball game or a ugh, basketball game. <laughs> Jesus Christ. He's watching a basketball game that's taking place at the Staples Center. And you think he's just watching it. It's just background noise. He plays a little bit of a bigger role. So they go, they, they meet up at the place. He drives. Two guys go into this uh, to this place. We don't know what it is. A jewelry store, whatever. They go in, steal a bunch of shit, come back out, and our police are already looking for them. And it's a very quiet chasing. It starts very quietly. Police are looking for them. Can't find them. Eventually, Chopper finds them. <laughs> sees that <laughs> sees that silver Impala, the one that nobody's <laughs> supposed to bat an eye at. And it, they <laughs> are found instantly. You can hear them say it's Chevy Impala over the police chatter. Like, because he's listening to the police scanner. And, like, right away, like, within... <laughs> He can't even get down the block before they're looking for him. <laughs> oh, yeah. they and Well, they found him. Mm-hmm. And that's when it picks up a little bit more. But it's still not a bombastic car chase. It has a bunch of explosions and shit like that. No, it's you get the impression that Ryan Gosling is careful with his steps. He's not an explosive getaway driver. They eventually make their way to the Staples Center. And they get there as the game is finishing, as people are walking out of the stadium. And they and him and the 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 robbers, you know, they escape in the crowd of people. And that's when the title comes on drive. And as the film goes on, we see that Ryan Gosling is actually a daytime. He's a day player for he's a Hollywood stunt driver. Right. He day plays in a bunch of these Hollywood sets with his friend Shannon, played by Brian Cranston, who at the time was playing uh, Walter White on Breaking Bad. And you know him and Shannon have a have a good have a good friendship, but things get a little bit moody, and then he eventually runs into Irene, who's his next door neighbor. She has a son named Benicio. She one day he sees her at the grocery store. He ev- he evades her. He he's the introspective, quiet guy. You know he doesn't really know what to say, and when he does, doesn't really say that much. But he sees that she has car troubles, so. He gives her a lift home and they talk a little bit and he learns more about her. They learn more about each other. And he learns that she has a husband standard played by Oscar Isaac, who's in prison. In the meantime, Shannon is impressed by Ryan Gosling's driving skills. He's they've been working together for six years and now Shannon wants to make a move at buying a race car. But he needs he needs financing. So he goes to Bernie Rhodes or is it Rose? Bernie Rose who's played by Albert Brooks, which you might know him as the dad from Finding Nemo. Uh, <laughs> and he says, look, I want $400,000 to buy this car. And Bernie's like, well, I don't know if I... Look, I got to meet the kid. So they meet up at a racetrack. He sees his driving skills. And you get the impression that Bernie is going to... He's going to do it. He's going to give him $300,000 to buy a car. And they're going to invest in Ryan Gosling's character. Also, by the way, Ryan Gosling doesn't have a name. In the film, he's, he's just driver driver. They call him kid in the script. He's driver. So while that's happening, Irene takes her car to Shannon's uh, auto shop. Shannon owns an auto shop on top of working uh, with Ryan Gosling on these Hollywood stunt movie scenes. And there's like one of my favorite scenes where she takes her car to the shop. 
Ryan gives her a lift back home and they drive through the LA river and they get out and they kind of just have a good time. And they're playing They're They you gotta remember that song. Real, uh, a real hero. A real hero. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh man. It just fits. It's so, it's such a great needle drop. This movie has fantastic needle drops and it ends with Ryan Gosling carrying Benicio. You know, he has his jacket over Benicio takes him to Irene's apartment and he's like, if you want to go, if you need a, if you need a drive or a ride, you can let me know. And, you know, they spend more and more time together. Uh, so things are going well with Irene. But then we cut back to Bernie. And Bernie and Nino. Oh, I haven't described Nino. Nino is Bernie's cousin or brother? Uh, I, I would say they're business associates. Nino's more of a, like, he's in a lot of some shady shit, I think. He's, oh, yeah, Nino. <laughs> Nino's really the, the cause as to all the shit that happens later on. He's They're, played by Ron Perlman. Yes. Uh, maybe maybe him and Bernie are related, or maybe they're just business associates who've been together for a long time. Yeah, they have history together. So we meet Nino, and we get the impression that this guy's kind of a wild card. However, it's all smooth sailing until... Irene's husband gets out of prison and he's headed back home. Fucking standard. That's his name, by the way. Standard. Mm-hmm. Dumbest fucking name I've ever heard. I, I feel like his name is standard for a joke later on, though. It is. I, I think that's the entire reason his <laughs> that's his name. <laughs> Which, fair enough. It's a funny joke. But, um, <clears throat> you know, and he's trying to reconnect with his family with Irene and his son Benicio and drivers just got to deal with it. Oh, he's, he's sad though. He's, he's sad. sad. He's very sad. And, this is, and so is, so is Irene. And that's where you get one of my favorite, another good, <laughs> great, <laughs> drop. I don't sleep. I don't need, I think about you. I, I forgot the song, but you know, it's, it's a, it's, it works pretty well. He has like a welcome back party. And he's saying like, oh, I'm sorry about everything. I'm ashamed of what I did. But you know what? I'm going to make it up to you. Cheers to Irene. And she's like, yeah, mm, thanks, husband. And then the next shot is she's just like outside. of the, <laughs> In the apartment hallway, just yeah. sitting, wishing that and, Ryan Gosling would call the cops on the party. And, and he's just he's not even invited to the party. <laughs> he probably was. But why would he go, man? And he's in his apartment, one single light on, one light fixture as he's fixing a car part. So sad, dude. He, he can hear the music through the wall. <laughs> <laughs> he just wants to he be. He wants to be with Irene and Benicio. However, we find out that Standard actually had uh, some protection while he was in prison. And he owes the people for that protection. They go, uh, these two guys led by. Uh, it's not Noho Hank. Not Noho Hank. Like <laughs> But it, it looks like him from uh, from Barry. No, he uh, his name's Cook and they go and beat up Standard in front of his son. And they actually give Benicio a bullet as a sign that him and his mother aren't safe. Driver hears about this and he's not cool with it. And he talks to Standard and he's like, what do they want? Standard says that Cook wants Standard to do one final job. And Ryan Gosling volunteers to be the getaway driver. That's right. This dude is helping the woman he loves husband clear his debt. So he can go home and be a family man. Exactly. So he could so he could have a good life with his family and Ryan Gosling alone in his apartment. Jesus. We'll get to that. But they plan the heist, right? And they're uh 
Cook, one of Cook's associates, Blanche, played by Christina Hendricks, goes along for the robbery. So they go to the valley. The robbery goes bad, obviously. And Standard gets killed. He gets shot multiple times. And Ryan Gosling and Blanche make off with the money, with a bag of money, while being chased by a second car. We don't know who's in the second car. We don't know what's happening with the second car, but they are being chased. And it's the second car chase of the film. And it's pretty, it's fantastic, especially some it's of the- It's the final car chase of the film. It is. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's, but it's fantastic. Ryan Gosling evades the driver. They go to a hotel and they find that it wasn't, they didn't steal just $50,000. They stole over a million dollars. And they see from the news report that the owner of the pawn shop where they stole the money, he said that no money was stolen. He told the officers that no money was stolen and that Standard was acting alone. So this tips off Ryan Gosling knowing that, okay, something's happening. What the fuck? Who was in that second car? Who did we steal from? And let me tell you, Ryan Gosling throughout the film, he keeps his chill for the most part. But there are subtle moments where he starts, you you see that dark side of him come out. And this is the first time where you really start seeing it. There's that one part where he's just in a diner after Standard comes home and he's upset. Where some guy, a former client, recognizes him. He's like, hey, remember you drove us out of Fort Wayne or some shit? And, then, and he's like, how about this? Shut your mouth, or I'll kick your teeth down your throat, and I'll shut it for you. And the guy's like, oh, never mind. <laughs> that's when you could, like, that's when you really start getting a sense of just how dangerous this guy is. Because he he's stoic for the most part of the film, and you don't want to yeah. fuck with him early on, but this is where he is promising actual violence. He, like, slaps, slaps Blanche, and he grabs her her by the face and and makes her tell the truth or well he's like he's on top of her pointing straight at her threatening her yeah he might as well have a gun in his hand <laughs> oh yeah that finger's a goddamn bullet and he's he wants blood he wants he wants to murder someone mm-hmm. she admits that she admits to him that cook hired a second a second driver to steal the money from them so blanche and cook could keep the money for themselves and not the original person who set who orchestrated the uh the heist but nobody was supposed to die so even blanche is not in the know of the entire plan he says you're gonna take me to cook and we're gonna figure this shit out as she goes to the restroom remember guys in the first part of the episode i told you that there's a point halfway in the film where the violence gets rocked up till 10 this is that scene Blanche goes into the restroom and right outside, there's a guy with a, a shotgun and he blows her head off. Her face is, is obliterated. Ryan Gosling hears that. He sees that someone's headed to the front door. So he throws a mattress on the door to slow them down. The guy climbs through the broken uh, window. Ryan Gosling grabs like um, a shower rod, a shower rod, and he sticks it through his neck. He grabs the shotgun. The guy that was in the front door comes in through and Ryan obliterates him. And all we see, the end of that scene is just the camera pushing up on Ryan Gosling's face covered in blood. Pure silence. The next scene is him with Shannon. He's getting he's getting some of the some of the the shotgun shell pellets or he, he got shot, not severely. And he talks to Shannon and he's like, I gotta find Cook. So he finds Cook. At this strip club burlesque show, he goes to the back where all the women are like 
you know, naked. It's like their makeup room. And they're just standing around like props. Man, I will say one of my favorite things <laughs> was how the women are just watching this happen. Like stoic. Like they don't, they are unfazed. This was, it was it, one of my favorite things. It's like we, we, we should run because this guy's like trying to murder our boss, but then our boobs won't be in the shot. So oh, let's just stay here. Get the fuck out of here. We'll, we'll talk about that later. But um, he, he finds Cook, beats his, breaks his arm. With with a hammer, and he takes the bullet that Benicio that, he, that Cook gave Benicio, sticks it down his throat, and makes him choke on it. Doesn't kill him. While he's on the phone with Nino, Cook was working for Nino, so the whole robbery was for Nino. Ryan Gosling tells him, "I don't want the money. I don't. I want this to end. So I'm going to give you the money." We find out in a conversation that Nino has with with Bernie that someone out of Philly was trying to set up an operation. In Los Angeles, someone from the East Coast mob. They were trying to compete with what Bernie and Nino had. So Nino wanted to shut it down. But now that this has gone haywire, Nino and Bernie need to clean up the mess before it gets tied back to the meaning. They have to kill Cook. They have to kill Shannon. They have to kill Ryan Gosling. And potentially they have to kill Irene. Driver goes back to the apartment to tell Irene why Standard was killed. And she's upset. They get into the elevator and the hitman that Nino sent is in the elevator. And this is the famous elevator scene where Ryan Gosling kisses, kisses Irene. But then he stops the sh- that dude's head in. That dude's super dead. And Irene. Yeah, there's a, a guy in the elevator who has a gun and the driver sees it. So he knows that, oh, this guy's dangerous. He's here to kill us. I have to kill him first. But first, I'm going to get some smooches on oh, with my yeah. lady. Hell yeah. Mm. I don't even think it's it's a kiss to distract the guy either. Well, I think it's just I guess we get into that later. We we could get into that because I have there's there's some thoughts about that. Um but Irene sees this and she's petrified. She's horrified. Um so this is the point where Ryan Gosling he grabs a rubber mask, an ultra realistic rubber mask, he puts it on, he goes to the pizzeria that the pizzeria that Nina owns, sees him, tails him. Uh, crashes into the car where it falls off a cliff right next to the beach and Ryan Gosling drowns his ass. Um, So Nino's off and now it's off to Bernie. So Ryan Gosling calls Bernie and he's like, look, man, I want uh, I want to get and clear. Bernie has just killed Shannon, his friend. Ooh, right. Brutally, too. Ooh, that death fucked with me. He takes a barbershop razor like the old school and as shannon and bernie are shaking hands bernie grabs that razor blade and just slits his wrist don't worry don't worry that's it it's done there's no pain it's over it's over so shannon dies so basically most people die and ryan gosling calls bernie bernie's like hey let's do a meetup at this restaurant and bernie they meet up at the restaurant and bernie says look I can make sure that the girl and the kid are fine. That Irene and Benicia are going to be fine. Nothing's going to happen. I can't make the same promise to you. You're going to have to leave LA and you're going to have to keep an eye over your shoulders. I can't promise you anything. Do you have the money? Ryan Gosling gives them the money. They they go out to the car. Um, They go out to the car. Ryan gives them the money and Bernie stabs him in the abdomen. And Ryan pulls out his own knife and stabs him as well. Ryan's bleeding out. He's in the car 
and you're not sure if he's gonna live or die until the very last second where he starts his car up and he starts just driving away. And one of the last things we see is Irene in her apartment, walking over to Ryan's uh, door, knocking, trying to see if he's there, but he's obviously not, and she just heads back to her apartment as Ryan Gosling is driving into the night with his, uh, with his fate uncertain to the viewers. And that's the end of Drive. So that it's a it's a simple movie. It's pretty the story. Yeah, story is pretty simple. Is the, Plot is like I don't, I feel like there's a little bit that's like confusing about the money and their plan, but it doesn't really matter. I right? I I felt the same way. I, actually, to be honest, uh, I've been I was always kind of confused about that for the longest time. Was the plot with the money and the second car? Because they were trying to steal the money so that the driver and um, Standard wouldn't get a cut, right? Because Chris Cook, if that's his real name, wanted mm -hmm. to keep all the money. Why even say we're going to pay you? Like, if you're you're going to do this job for us. We're going to get the money and you won't get any money because we'll kill your family. Absolutely. Why you got to make things so complicated? No, no, no. A hundred percent. No, no. Austin. I 100% agree with you. That was my biggest confusion as well. Because if you see in the scene where they're at MacArthur Park, Cook breaks down the price. He's like, this is how much you're going to get for um, for Christina Hendricks. Uh, this is how much Oscar Isaac is getting. This is how much you're getting. And in his, in his hand, he writes, fuck off. Meaning they're not getting paid. Right? So yeah. when I was watching this movie, I was early on, I was like, wait, so why did... Who, who was driving the second car? Who was the second car working for? I actually had to look it up because I was like, all right, I got to figure this out because <laughs> it because it doesn't it's not really conveyed, but it makes it makes a little bit of sense from it, the explanation I, I found. So it, it seems like Blanche calls Cook. Hey, there's something wrong. We're in this hotel. The driver slapped me. He's trying to kill me. Help. And so Chris Cook sends his two people to kill them and take the money. Well, OK, here's the thing. The conclusion I came to was originally Nino set this robbery up and he hired Cook to plan it, right? And Cook brought on Standard and he brought on uh, Ryan Gosling and Blanche as well. However, Cook and Blanche were going to double cross Nino and take the money for themselves instead of giving it to him. So they hired a second car to, to steal from them, not knowing that. Ryan Gosling is a capable driver who is going to evade them. So those were Cook's men who he sent to the hotel and they just decided he made the he made the decision to kill Blanche. Um, he really has no he doesn't treat her as a friend. He's he's very dismissive of her. The way he talks to her is very like demeaning. Oof. Yeah, it's very much. Hey, standard. Go help Blanche get a Coke. <laughs> That's my. That's kind of where I've gone, which makes a little bit more sense because I was like, who's driving the second car? Cook hired them. Cook hired them to steal the money so him and Blanche could rip Nino off and take the money for themselves because it's a lot of money. And they could put the blame on Standard and, I, and uh, Ryan Gosling. That's but that so that's kind of what works for me. I don't even know if that's really the case. I don't think that's the case. I think uh, Chris was supposed to steal the money from them so that there was no connection between the robbery and the 
the mob. Like they would lose their trail because the mob would want their million dollars back. Right. Mm -hmm. But if the people that did it are all dead, then there's nothing that they can trace. And that makes sense too. That was Nino's plan. I think Chris Cook was loyal to Nino, but he was really bad at his job. (laughs) Well, the thing is we don't know. And, And that's the thing. It's not explicitly said. Um, Nino doesn't outright say that he wanted to kill the driver in standard, but once all of this happens and once, uh, the driver calls Nino directly, that's when he says that the driver's got to go explicitly. The driver calls Shannon what happened, right? And then Shannon calls Bernie because Bernie knows that, oh, the driver helped steal a million dollars. That's crazy. Then when they find Cook, he calls Nino. So Bernie and, and Nino are like, what the hell? You tried to steal a million dollars without telling me from the mob? What's wrong with you? And he's like, they pinch my cheeks. <laughs> the reason I was thinking they were family was because he's like, they treat me like I'm so sort of kid where it's like, wait, are so are they family related? Like, is it is no, it? I think it's the the family is like the mob family who treat who treat me. No, like he's a child. Yeah. He's like Joe Pesci in Goodfellas. Like, yeah. <laughs> Go get your fucking shine box. Motherfucking mother- that, that whole connection, it doesn't really, it's not, it's not very deeply explained. But like you said earlier, it's not really about that. If you're looking for a mob movie that deals with this, this is the wrong movie because that's not what this is about. This is like, focused way more on the driver himself and Irene than the actual mob money story. All, all you're supposed to know is that... The threat of the mob is what motivates these characters to be so desperate yeah. and violent. I never really particularly cared, just because I was always engaged with Ryan Gosling. I was engaged with kind of like his character, his relationship with Irene, the pseudo-love triangle that's between her standard and Ryan. Mm-hmm. And just the overall mood and aesthetics. I mean, this is an incredibly well-directed film oozing with style on every front i mean you're talking i mean look light in terms of lighting you've got your blue and oranges that are just permeating every frame the camera is always in the car it's smoothly shot compositioned really well um it feels like these characters are bigger than life just because of how the camera frames them the camera is really kind of lower than the characters. You know when sometimes you have character like movies where the cameras are like straight on the character's heights? Mm-hmm. The bulk of the movie is shot pretty low to the characters. Right? And it yeah. gives it just gives it a bigger a bigger feeling. Like everyone's just mm-hmm. bigger. So that's cinematography, the costume. I mean, you you're gonna if we're gonna talk about costumes, you gotta talk about Ryan Gosling's Scorpion jacket. Iconic. Iconic. I tried buying one. It sounds expensive. I found one that was in that was in black instead of white. And it looked really cool. I don't want to be that film guy, but then I kind of do. You want to get this tattoo, don't you? Yeah. So I'm already that. I'm already that guy. You want to be that guy, but you don't want people to know you're that guy. (gasps) I'm like Ryan Gosling in this movie. (laughs) Hey, 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 okay. Listen, guy. Okay. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to open your mouth and I'm going to kick your teeth in. And then I'm going to kick it real hard and I'm going to make you choke on your teeth, okay? (laughs) So please leave. Uh, But the costumes, the soundtrack, you know, the needle drops are super 80s synth. Uh, Even the original score made by Cliff Martinez is pretty synthy and atmospheric. 
Nicholas Winding Refn had a very strong vision as to how he imagined this film being. And I loved it, man. It made me love things that I didn't even really think about too much. Like the synth 80s style music. It got me into that whole genre. I was born and raised in LA. I love it. And the locations used, the the visual landscapes that we see throughout the film. It's like, yeah, man, I love this. I love seeing everything. I love the nighttime uh, drive through some of the emptier parts of LA to the desert scene, to the valley scene, the second car chase. Yeah, I do. I do like the style of this movie. I do like the way it looks and the way it sounds. But it just there's stuff in the movie that's just like, it just irritates me. Well, let's let's actually get into that. What what did it, I'm gonna put on my chair and open my notepad? I'm not trying to belittle your tastes or anything. This is just how I feel watching the movie. We can have a civil discussion about this. I think so many people are out to get like their hot takes out and to like just tear something apart. I don't want to do that. But at the same time. There's parts of this movie I really don't like. <laughs> Austin, I 100% agree. There is no reason why we cannot be civil. So please, go ahead, uninterrupted. Okay. The movie has that, like, really... You fucking bi- I'm sorry. Proceed. Okay. Well, it has that really cool beginning, right? I'm on board, I'm on board. And then we see the Carrie Mulligan character, um, Irene. And, you know, Carrie Mulligan's an L.A. or Hollywood actress, right? So she's very attractive. Mm-hmm. I don't know much else about her character besides that and that she's a mom, I guess. And she's really nice and pretty. Mm-hmm. Not really much else to her character, is there? No, 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 you're right. And I guess she's attracted to men who do illegal things for, for a living. <laughs> you know, I was thinking that while the movie happened, but I was like, I don't know if I should bring it up. Yeah, she's got a type, I guess. She does. <laughs> she does. But I guess because it's a movie, you know, you you have your, your male protagonist fall in love with the female lead, right? Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's a given. Mm-hmm. So you just kind of have to, like, accept it. But I think it it dwells so long on, on this this romance that I I just don't really buy like their their conversation when he gets the groceries groceries for her like it looks really well the way the shots are composed but the dialogue between them is like i don't know i feel like you could screen cap like a very short bumble conversation and not be able to tell the difference between this and that you know what i mean I think I think I do get what you're saying. And that was actually something I was thinking of as well. I was Ryan Gosling doesn't really say that much. He doesn't. He only I found it on IMDb. He only says 116 lines in the entire film, which is 891 words. He couldn't write a, a four page essay. No. And that's for an hour and 40 minute movie. And like that's that's OK, I guess. But I think it just after their like grocery store conversation that's just kind of awkward and i guess kind of funny if it ends there but then there's this other montage of them like driving around la in the la river and i I do like the song Mm -hmm. but i feel like having all of that back to back this kind of like superficial 
scenes between these two characters, I'm kind of over it. That's when I'm like checking the time to see how much of the movie's left. I feel like it just go. There's like two sequences too many before the dad comes back, before Standard gets out of prison. Mm. When Standard gets out of prison, then I'm more involved in the movie because now there's conflict. The love triangle. Yeah. There's a scene when she's like outside in in the hallway and she's like, oh, I wish you would call the cops. <laughs> and it's like, kind makes of, a joke. And that scene's kind of tense a little bit. Yeah, it's a little tense, even though Standard doesn't threaten the driver. He's not saying, stay away from my wife, I'm back. There, You could have that scene. I think the movie would be worse for it. 100% agreed. You know, you can tell how they feel without them having to say anything. It's a great scene. Thank you so much. I love that scene. One of the things, one of the fears that I had and something that I appreciate the film not doing is that they didn't make Oscar Isaac play up the Cholo character a little bit or, you know, like that exaggerated Hispanic character. I mean, I'm not saying that it's always bad. You know, I, I, you know, he seems like a normal guy who's just trying to get his life back on the same track. Thank you. it totally comes off that way. And I was a little worried that they could have made him like, yo, home, stay away from my girl. See, if you don't, it, the way I chat to madre. And I'm just like, <laughs> I don't, I was like, a part of me was a little scared about that. And the, he's just a cool guy. And then that kind of like, I feel like it kind of turns on him though. It makes the movie goes out of its way to make him seem less sympathetic. To me, what, what, cause I know the scene that you're talking about to me, it just highlights the fact that him and Irene were not meant to be with each other because after he gets beaten up we have that dinner scene between the three of them where he talks about how uh he first met irene okay i'm sorry to i'm sorry to interrupt but it has to be said what the fuck man we've done three movies in a row that have dealt with underage people <laughs> dating older people did you notice yes. that yeah oh my god yeah she was 17 he's but he remembers she was 19 yeah and then and then he's like oh well, I guess it was sort of illegal what we did, huh? <laughs> so I illegally approached your 17-year-old mother. I'm like, Jesus Christ. That was the scene that I thought you were going to bring up. And I was just like... Oh, yes, I am bringing it up. Yeah. Because I, I'm, I'm saying like, okay, well, that scene kind of made me feel like I'm not supposed to be sympathetic towards him, right? I just... That's, I, I feel that way, but I can't like... But when you put it all together, it feels like, yeah, we're supposed to be okay with him dying. You know what I mean? Um... And who talks like that? Like, I illegally approached your 17-year-old mother, and then uh, a year later, you popped out. It's the best day of my life. I could, I could totally see people saying that. Absolutely. But why, why have it be that she was 17? I think it just highlights how, how distant they are and how just they're not. That's, I think that's the point of the, the film really highlights in a weird non-verbal way the film is meant to establish that irene and ryan gosling's character are meant for each other that they're like you know soulmates when then when you have some someone like standard recall that story kind of the way he's telling it it's like yeah her getting accidentally pregnant from this guy and then just being together for benicio the kid like that makes total sense like she hasn't left him because they share a kid together that that's how i read it i don't dislike him though it doesn't like make us like want him to die, but it makes us more okay with him dying. I see what you're saying, but I still feel bad when he gets killed because it's a situation that he's forced into that was made shitty by Nino. 
he had like no escape from it when exactly. you think about it. But I think he did it. Like it's it's different from the scene before that I mentioned, where it's very subtle. They're saying things without without saying them, with with the way they're acting, with the way the shots are composed. You know, it's it's very subtle. But then we have this scene that explicitly shows us, yeah, these these kids. It was they. She got her pregnant when she was young, and they stayed together ever since. So. Their love isn't real. You know why he's saying it too, though, as well. He's saying it to get under Ryan Gosling's skin. Do you think so? Oh, absolutely. The way that scene plays out, I totally believe that he is saying it to get under Ryan's skin. And here's the thing. He doesn't know what Ryan Gosling's been doing. He and he's like, oh, Benicio says that you've been hanging around, that you've been helping around the house. Is that it? Helping around? You know, he says that look in the hallway. Yeah. <laughs> and in a weird way, the way I see that scene is that he is saying he's recalling this story, not because the director wants us to know about how they met. I think it's a way for standard to get under Ryan Gosling's skin. That's why that seems awkward. At least for me, that's how I read it. It was a way of standard kind of letting Ryan Gosling know it's like, hey, I met her when she was 17. Oh, God. <laughs> It's it's weird. It's a weird power play trip, but I like it because it adds to that love triangle aspect where, you know, you have these two people who are meant to be together and someone is like, well, uh, technically I'm married to her. So that's the way I saw that scene. Um, yeah, I, I feel like it's just really on the nose for something that was so subtle in the beginning. But here's the thing. That to me isn't a bad thing because films are going to give you exposition all the time there's no Mm -hmm. there's no way around exposition it's just a matter of how well can you convey it oscar isaac's character just randomly saying that story about how they met could be perceived that way but in the context of what's happening and the love triangle it's a way for him to get under ryan gosling's skin to get a reaction out of him since ryan is so stoic to let him know like hey i don't think he's trying to get a reaction out of him because he just agreed to help him out of this jam well, re- remember, the, the scenes are edited. They're not edited chronologically. But he says, uh, our our new friend. And this is after he was beaten and everything. So I'm assuming mm. he agreed to help him after that, that conversation with Benicio about the bullet. Yeah, but he's still not he's still not cool with it happening. Remember the first mm. remember, he's talking smack to him when he's in the bathroom. And he's like, what are you going to do, pretty boy? Like. He's not immediately just going to let that go. For all he knows, Ryan Gosling's been having sex with Irene this entire time, but she and him are lying to him. He's not going to be cool with yeah. it. He's not. But I don't know. Something about the way that scene is, I don't I don't get that at all. I could watch it again, and then I'll come back to you later. I've always seen that scene that way. Like, the moment I was like, oh, there's about to be a fight. And when Ryan Gosling, like, kind of smiles and he takes a drink from his cup, I was like, God damn it. Just beat the shit out of him already. <laughs> By the way, I think this is the last time Carrie Mulligan speaks in this film. Is this conversation where she she corrects him with the age, saying she was 17, and then she repeats the joke. Well, my name is Standard Gabriel. And what did you say? I said, where's the deluxe version? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> she has like two spoken lines um right before the elevator scene yeah i can't talk i have to go and yeah and those are the last words she has in the film 
to be fair, it's not a real talky movie. <laughs> but she's less of a character as soon as, as soon as I feel like throughout the whole film, she doesn't seem like a real character. She's just the object of affection. I'll give you that. Well, she's a mother that has a child that Ryan Gosling yeah. likes very much. Um, that was a decision. So apparently one of the notes that I found was that apparently they had way more dialogue, her and Ryan, mm -hmm. but they decided to take a lot of it out because they wanted to be, uh, what was it? The driver and Irene actually say very little to each other, primarily because Ryan Gosling and Carrie Mulligan felt that their scenes should be more focused on the mood and refused to say many of the scripted lines. Mulligan summarized making the film as staring longingly at Ryan Gosling for hours each day. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not against that because Ryan Gosling gets very little characterization as well, even though he's the lead. But he's doing stuff in the movie. Yes. You know? He, oh, I, he totally is. Carrie um, Mulligan is having car problems, needing help with the groceries, and then staring longingly at Ryan Gosling. <laughs> you're absolutely right. It's focusing very much on two things, I believe. Ryan Gosling and the actual mood, the style of the movie. They're trying to create like a modern day Clint Eastwood type of guy, the, the man with no name. Yeah. Where you have the man who is stoic, sometimes non-sexual. Um, they're, you know, the guy that's reluctant to help, but will do the right thing at all times. I think it was really trying to drive that point. And so the movie is very much kind of a centerpiece for Ryan Gosling. Everyone else is kind of second to that. That's fine. But I, I think Carrie Mulligan has a lot of screen time, right? They, they, especially in that first half. That first half, there's, I, th I think after the car chase, there's uh, 40 minutes before the like crime aspect of the whole movie comes back into play. It's a while. And I feel like if you're if we have that much of her, why don't we know more about her? <sighs> it kind of bores me with with those scenes. The technical aspects of them that I like, but like substance-wise, I I'm not getting enough out of it, so it kind of takes me out of the movie. Which is really interesting compared to my viewing, because I every time I watch this movie, I don't ever look at the watch. I am engaged the whole way. I don't, I'm not looking at the clock. I'm really, I'm with it. I'm digging everything the movie's giving me. I don't mind the way that the relationship is portrayed. Because I think with, I mean, we've talked about this before with action, but there's a lot of different ways of portraying action and comedies and stuff, right? Uh, romance is the same way. Like, you could have the romances where it's like when Harry met Sally, where the entire film's just talking about relationships and where they come from and where you come from. 500 Days of Summer, where it's from one character kind of recollecting moments in their past. And then you have something that's a little bit more ambiguous, more of a moody piece. It's like a, it is kind of like a poem. What does he see in her? I don't really know. But I do know that it's a sense of escape, a sense of warmth that he's lacking from his jobs, Shannon, his apartment. You know, there's an emptiness to it. There's a loneliness that he's just always had to deal with. And Carrie brings in, Irene brings in that warmth along with Benicio that he just wants. Maybe that's not enough to make one of the most compelling romances of all time. For you, at least, but I buy it. With the lack of dialogue and lack of characterization for her, I 
I still buy into it. And I think that's really sold by the chemistry that Carrie Mulligan has with Ryan Gosling. And whatever do you think they have a lot of chemistry together. Oh, I do. I think so. Because uh, again, the large part of it is they're staring at each other. Like what specifically about Carrie Mulligan besides the way that she looks does she bring to this movie? See, you're you're going about it's like what statistically can she bring? But it's about the feeling and the mood. I think that's that's it. That's the that's the what what I have a problem with is that I need something more than style. Well, that's what I was going to say. It sounds like you're in the camp of it's a style over substance kind of scenario. Yeah. Which, to be 100% honest, I don't disagree with that statement. I think it is very much a case of style over substance. This is one of those films where I don't mind it, where I'm okay with it. In fact, the style and the mood that it sets is so well envisioned that i'm like i'm fine with this um but then like the the rest of the movie happens right and when when the robbery the second robbery happens i'm i'm engaged again you know i'm like oh my god he's taking too long in there he's taking too long and then he walks out and gets shot in the back like oh shit i didn't see that coming even though it's in the freaking trailer <laughs> yeah but the, the first shot is like it made me jump again mm-hmm. watching it made me jump too. And it made everyone in the theater jump when I watched it. Cause it's loud. It's very purposely loud. The chase happens and it, it ends pretty, pretty quickly, mm-hmm. I think. And then we have that really tense, um, hotel fight. Mm-hmm. And then he, he goes back to, to Shannon and tells him what happened. And then Shannon's like, well, I'm going to go call my friend Bernie. <sighs> and it's, I'm like kind of waiting for the next thing to happen. I don't I feel like I want to see the driver find these people. Like how is he finding these people? And I want them to be like them to be hard to get to, you know, because in your typical action movie, right? You fight like the the weak guys first. You do like the investigation and the progressively harder obstacles in your way, you know? Mm-hmm. I I feel like nothing he does after the hotel scene demands any kind of like only the driver could have done this you know him and you put him behind the wheel and there's nothing you can't do does it make sense no no it does actually i was gonna say that is a i mean we were talking about the uh the, um, the robbery and kind of how ambiguous this is like why is there a second car and stuff that's purposely ambiguous but there is a kind of a, a plot hole or at least I, I i don't like talking about plot holes i generally do not like talking about plot holes because it's like look every film's gonna have them you just get over it. Yeah. However, there is one here that's kind of like, upon rewatching, I was like, huh. Uh, I guess. Because it's it's after Ryan Gosling gets the, the shotgun pellets or whatever out of his arm. And Shannon's like, so who's the guy? His name's Chris Cook. I think it's established they don't know where he's at. Where he's at. And they don't even know if that's his real name. Oh, yes. Exactly. And the next scene is Ryan Gosling walking down the stairs to the the basement of the the strip club or whatever and he's like do you know where cook is and she's like yeah he's in he's in there he's in the back and look i rewinded i was like look i didn't miss a goddamn thing i don't know how he found out about where chris is they even established that they don't know his name it's like guys you could have just written something in about a strip club or anything early on or just something i was like 
it, it doesn't bug me, but I, I see what you're saying. I, I get exactly what you're saying. That one scene, they don't know if it's his real name. The next, he finds him at a random strip club, burlesque club. I don't know. There's no escalation to that, to him. Yes, finding. that's the word. There's no escalation after that hotel scene. No. You know, like like in John Wick, he kills one guy and then the next guy has more guards out. Yeah. And then he kills that guy. And then the next guy has all the guards out. And then, he, you know what I mean? Absolutely. That's, that's how in Baby Driver, same thing. Like the, the heist gets harder the second time around. And then now he's after this guy who cannot be killed, it seems. <laughs> well, it doesn't even need to be that it, it needs to get harder, but there needs to be a, some sort of attempt. Like it, I was... I was thinking about I saw the devil. Kim Kim Ji Woon. Kim Ji Woon, right? I saw the devil. Yes. Uh, we we talked about his film The Good, the Bad, the Weird earlier. Fantastic film. Check it out. Simple plug. But um, yeah, in that movie, the basic premise is the serial killer kills this police officer's wife horribly, and he doesn't know. And the cop doesn't know who did it. So he has like li- uh, of pictures of potential suspects right and the, the killer is one of them but he doesn't know so the first three people that he goes to are uh, are you know he goes around and you see what he does to them trying to figure out if they're the ones that killed his wife very quick scene it's not that bold it's not it doesn't take a large part of the film uh but i appreciated it because it's like well there's some investigative efforts in finding out who actually murdered his wife and stuff there's not that in this film which still doesn't yeah. bug me but it does alleviate your complaints because I feel like it might mess up the pacing of the movie, but I, I don't know. And it is a little jar. A little, it is a little jarring because you don't even know if cooks his real name. Why do they even have that in, in the script? I, don't I, <laughs> I, again, I, even I'm like, come on guys. One simple thing where he's like, Oh, you know, I found Blanche at the smoky hooch. You know, and you just put that name into Google and, oh, you know, Smooky Hooch will come out or something. I don't know. <laughs> just um, some, like something that like Chris Cook. Oh, I think Bernie knows this guy. I think I saw him at, at uh, Nino's Pizzeria. Then, oh, that's how the driver knows to find Nino at Nino's Pizzeria. Because I, I think he only saw Nino the one time. Uh, right? At the garage, yeah. And it seems like he just met Bernie. Bernie when when he was demonstrating like the race, his racing ability, oh, his yeah. driving ability. So how does he know to find Nino at the pizzeria? Even that one, I'm okay with, just because Shannon knew Nino and Bernie. Like, like I'm, I'm way more forgiving of that, just because you know, maybe they mentioned something. It, we don't see it in the film. They we never don't. mentioned. It's they... all like skipped over, and I, like I guess. Right. It happening twice is just like so frustrating for me. <laughs> no, no, I I get where you're coming from, and even as someone who loves again, it's one of my favorite films. It is something that you kind of just have to like, huh? Like I'm willing to forgive the, him finding Nino at the pizzeria. Like I'm fine with that, mm-hmm. especially because we're at the tail end of the film. We don't want to bog it down too much by having all of these things explained. But if you're literally gonna have one scene when you're like, hey. We don't even know who this guy is to, oh, I found him. It's like, okay, come come on, guys. I met you from earlier. It seems like you have a problem with that underground scene. The, the one where he finds Cook. It, it just seems like there's, you know, boobs, like, you know, um, 
nipples in the shot just for the sake of having nipples in the shot. Mm-hmm. But it is kind of funny how they're like so indifferent to this guy getting beaten up. But at the same time, I feel like they're there for the scenery. You know what I mean? I see both your points and I agree with both your points. <laughs> it's it's a weird it's I mean, like I said earlier, there's like it's in the this movie's an amalgamation of different things, of different genres. I think that's kind of where it's harkening some back to some of its mm-hmm. exploitation B movie uh influences. I'm not saying they had to be there. That's just me trying to find a trying to find a connection between all these things. And but when I, you combine it with Carrie Mulligan's screen time and her lack of character you can't help but feel like the females were just a little, the female characters were a little underwritten. Yeah. It's a movie made for men, which is fine, you know, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's just a lot. You know what I mean? (laughs) It's like, this is for boys only, you know? (laughs) It, I personally never got that vibe. I think that just maybe comes from my background and experience of just not seeing it from, kind of a woman's yeah, it's, perspective, it's, you know what I mean? Exactly. Like we, you know, we can we see we can only help but see things from our perspective. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So if if you don't consider other people's perspective, then it's fine. Like it was made for straight men. So I like this. If you think about it a little bit like hmm and combine compare it to like other films, most action films, it's like Okay, I see. I see why so many women are upset about this. Upset at the genre, or like at at the genre. Okay. I, I think action movies tend to be. I don't want to be like straw manny about this, but I feel like most action movies in general are just made for men, right? No, that that is a total. Yeah, no, you are not straw manny shit. Action movies are for men. Rom coms are for m- women. We talked about this at the Legally Blonde episode. Yeah, and I I don't think it has to. St- to be that way, you know, especially as time goes on, as we get more sophisticated audiences with more sophisticated perspectives, I think, you know, we can not have things be the same all the time. No, no, a hundred percent agree. It's it's funny actually that you that you mentioned that because in twenty thirteen or twenty eleven, this movie came out, right? Which you know, I mean, look, let, let's call it what it is, right? Like the women, the female characters are under underwritten, right? Christina Hendricks, who was, I think starring in uh mad, mad men, men one of the one of the most critically acclaimed shows of all time well he, here's here's a funny thing and look again i love this movie but you but you're dropping some points because two supporting characters brian cranston and christina Hendricks, both who are in very critically acclaimed tv shows amc tv shows one's uh one's breaking bad the other's in uh mad men and you know Shannon is given a bit more screen time. He's given a bit more, you know, his character seems a bit more fleshed out than Blanche's. Yeah, he's funny. You you like him. He has a he has a certain relationship. Blanche is kind of like she's there to to look hot and to scream uh, I and, and to be killed horribly. <laughs> I don't know what's the word for it, but like because Ryan Gosling goes off on her. Yeah. And she's one of the first people, kind of one of the first people that gets a bit more of it. We saw the guy in the diner, mm-hmm. but that's just a random. She's the first person he puts his hands on. First person he gets physical with. Yes. Th- thank you. Yes. The, in, a, in a threatening way. Mm-hmm. Like his hand over her mouth. And when he points at her, that's a sign where it's like, 
this dude is low key really really deadly mm-hmm. and i think that's one of the purposes that her character has is someone who is kind of non non-consequential to the story and i mean she she does get the brunt of his of his power especially physically um and i think that's kind of partly her character and in going back to my original point we could see how shannon is treated compared to blanche right yeah, um, as characters in the film, you mean? As characters, yeah. Yeah, as characters. You know, Shannon's given a bit more leeway. Brian Cranston was able to improvise a lot of what he was saying. He's a cool guy, you know. They kind of make this kind of little joke about how he just has terrible luck. You know, he's mm-hmm. always tried to hustle and he, he just had terrible luck with Blanche. I really don't know that much about her. All I know is that she was with Cook. I don't even know if it was like a sexual romantic relationship or if it was just work. And why is she with him? Because Cook is a piece of shit. He's awful. I get no sense of that. And the thing is, too, she does lie to Ryan Gosling. Mm-hmm. And that line where he's like, you got a little boy's father killed. You know, it's kind of meant to make us dislike her. Mm-hmm. You know, where we're like, you better open up because this dude's about to open a can of whoop ass. And you might get it if you're not fucking honest. So be honest, motherfucker. It's like, I think that's her point. Right. I think that's why. Mm-hmm. Blanche was introduced. And yeah, Christina Hendricks, big name actress. She's in the film for like five minutes almost. Actual, actual screen time, much less. Actual, like the camera is on her. Mm-hmm. Probably not that much. However, I will <laughs> say, however, I will say, she is in one of my favorite shots of the film. When he, when Ryan Gosling reverses and then he, he, he does a 180 and he tricks the car yeah. to, to hit the, uh, to hit the signage. And it's they slow. hit the those like things filled with water, right? Yeah, is uh-huh. that what he Mm-hmm. And then it's like the slow motion of inside the car. Christina Hendricks is in the foreground. In the background, you see the car kind of spin out of control. And mm-hmm. holy shit, that's I love that shot. So, in terms of substance, there's not much. Yeah, um, it's just which, like all all of those things combined. It just feels like fair enough. Fair, and I honestly, I can't even fault you for thinking that. Because yeah, I I love this movie, but I you know I kind of have to admit, yeah, that is a thing. However, going back to the uh, backstage strip club scene, mm-hmm. what makes that scene a lot more enjoyable is the catharsis of seeing someone like Cook get his comeuppance because he's a piece of shit. Yeah, yeah, and also just the women just looking indifferent, <laughs> like it just just their complete lack of care for Cook. Right. And it's it's funny that you said that they were that they were they, they didn't have their bras, right? Their bras on. Yeah, they, they, they didn't have their bras on. Right. So their, their, their boobs are just hanging out. Yeah, I was never, ever paying attention to the boobs. <laughs> like I never <laughs> like, man, look, man, I love women. But that was the last thing I was looking at during that entire scene. I was looking between three points. Ryan Gosling cooks horrified face and the women just not giving a fuck. <laughs> and when he has the bullet right over his forehead, I was like, hit it, hit it. <laughs> well, and that's actually a, something I didn't bring up earlier, but this movie makes you, it, for me, it made me scared of violence. It made me anxious to see it. And we've talked mm. about, we've talked about violence, my history with violence, you know, with RoboCop and stuff, being traumatized. Yeah. I've played video games my whole life. Played GTA when I was a kid. Halo. I, I, how many NPCs have I killed? Way too many. But this movie, the violence got under my skin when I was watching it in theaters. Like, it made me really anxious. I was sweating. 
my pits were drenched. It was like swamp. It's a swamp donkey. <laughs> Each kill was very gruesome, very, very violent, and it made me like not want people to die. I definitely remember that in that scene where he has mm. the bullet over his over Cook's head. I hate Cook, and I am glad he died. But I was like, I don't want to see this kill. And I was, and when we get when Ryan Gosling doesn't kill Cook, I was sort of relieved. <laughs> Just not not because Cook lived, but just because I was like, oh, thank God, I don't get to see him die in a horrendous way. No, you're wrong. Because Bernie grabs a fork, stabs his eye, grabs a knife, and cuts, digs it into his throat. I was horrified. I'm like, what the fuck? And I'm like an 18, 17-year-old grown-ass man oh, wow. watching this, and I was just hor- horrified. Because, you know, in most action films, most most of the actions their death don't mean anything no it's like a it's a cartoony like when james bond kills people at least like in the roger moore and pierce brosnan sean connery ones it doesn't matter no it's like they're not even people they're just (laughs) might as well be killing robots or something exactly and honestly i am totally okay with that that is not i i love cartoony violence yeah you can there's a way that you can film violence to make it actually like a horrible thing and that's what this movie does. And it makes you not want to watch violence. It The movie mm. has its set pieces, but it shows them in a way that's grounded. Mm. Every death scene that comes in, it's like, I don't want I don't want it to happen because I know it's going to be very violent and it's going to mean something. And it that's what happens. And mm-hmm. I'm scared of it, but I'm also glad it does that because it. It's a different portrayal of violence, different portrayal of death, and it's one that is appropriate for the story. You know, it's it's all about how it's filmed. And it it's you can watch somebody get their head stomped in and laugh. Mm-hmm. There's a way you can film it that way. There's a way that you can film it so that you're horrified. And there's a way that you can f- film it so that you you f- you feel sad. And for me, it got under my skin personally, where again, when I saw this for the first time as a 17-year-old, Having seen violence, uh, real life, video games, movies, it it still got to me. The elevator scene, for example, I, you get a glimpse, a glimpse of the guy's head that's being stomped on, right? And you can see it's mostly not there, but it's the way that he just keeps stomping on the head. You know, it's the sound that you hear. It's how it, it how long the scene goes and how Carrie Mulligan like backs off from from the elevator in horror. You know? And I very much the first time I watched the movie, I felt like Carrie Mulligan. Right? You yeah. see this beautiful scene of them kissing, very romantic, very dreamy, almost surreal. Like maybe it's not even really happening. Followed up by this very brutal portrayal. I was Carrie Mulligan when I was in that theater. I was just watching this. <laughs> I was like uh, it's like you were in the notebook. What happened, Ryan? Can you please stop? Let's leave him alone. Stop! Stop! He's already dead. <laughs> so it's it's very brutal, and I, I appreciate that though. One of the coolest things that I well, there were two two articles that I was reading. One that was talking about comparisons between him and Travis Bickle, and kind of the man with no name and mm-hmm. kind of that evolution of this character and how this movie really harkens back to those images and symbolisms and kind of those themes. And I thought it was really interesting because you said we need to evolve a little bit. And I, to a certain extent, I agree. I still don't want movies like Drive to 
be completely gone, right? This is still one of my favorite movies, but there that doesn't mean that there can't be movies like this or the characters of with no name that that can exist in a modern world. Do you know I mean, what I that's, mean? That's that's basically the Mandalorian. I I was actually going to say one of our favorite films, Mad Max Fury Road. Oh, Mad Max Fury Road, yeah. That entire film is littered with feminist subtext. Mm-hmm. Uh the entire they story. Even got Eve Ensler to be a consultant on on that film. Who? Eve Ensler? Do you know who she is? I I don't know. Oh, she's the writer of the Vagina Monologues. Oh. Okay. Okay. God damn it. Yeah, that that movie is super feminist. Yeah, and it <laughs> it's like and yet the title character is I mean Mad Max, the the movie's named after him, but you could argue that one of the main characters of the one of the main characters is Furiosa. How the yeah. prequel is going to focus entirely on her. I'm so excited for that. Yeah, so I it's really interesting just to see how far we've come because this movie came out in 2011, Mad Max came out in 2015, so within a four year span. And I think we're I mean you you mentioned the Mandalorian. Look at this last season, season two. Look at the finale. I mean, let's uh, not spoil it because some people haven't seen it, but <laughs> it is a bit more uh, female heavy. Like there's a bit more yeah. female characters in it. It's it's we're headed towards that direction. So I just think it was really interesting revisiting one of the last films that totally embraced that Western masculine. Yeah, like that masculine viewpoint, you know, that Travis Bickle, mm-hmm. that Clint Eastwood. Well, I, I don't know. Travis Bickles is I don't think he's the hero of that movie. <laughs> he, he's not. He's um, kind but, of the villain. But it's very much like his frame of reference we see the world through his perspective um but it was just interesting in that conversation mm-hmm. where you were like we it's time for us to evolve i agree uh but man i'm still gonna love drive yeah i th- i think i would like it better if it was less on the, the sentimental stuff because i feel like it's kind of empty there um and more on the thrilling like what's gonna happen next kind of thing i think when held in suspense in this movie like the the calm before the storm that's when i think the movie's really really good you said you I, you said the calm before the storm I, to me it sounds like you like the actual storm i do that's true um, i like which, i like those parts of the movie the most i think they work really well but there's that's not the whole movie there's a lot of other stuff in the movie and mm-hmm. i'm like it's a whole lot of movie yeah, there's a whole lot of movie. <laughs> and the action probably only takes up maybe less than 10 minutes. Yeah, maybe, it's uh, like a an art house movie more yeah. than an action thriller. But I don't know. Like I think, there's, have you seen Nightcrawler? Yes, I have. Love it's, Nightcrawler. It has a very similar look, like cinematography-wise. It It's also about LA. It's also about this character that is different. You know, they're not in quotes, normal. There's something off about them. Mm-hmm. And the things that happen in Nightcrawler, that guy is, is worse, right? That guy's probably more on the evil side. <laughs> he's kind of a villain. Oh, yeah. Uh, and he knows but, it, and he's not pretending. He's not trying to be a good guy. Ryan Gosling's trying to be a good guy. <laughs> yeah. But it doesn't work. I like that movie. And it. Ha- I feel like it has the style and stuff that Drive has, but also the story is... It has me, me too, you know? Every time I watch Drive or think about Drive, I'm like, why didn't I like this movie? 
wait, because it does things that I really like. No, it's and again, I wish I, I could like this movie more. No, no, and I feel you, and I honestly, I think that just speaks. I, I think I mentioned that earlier. I think it just speaks to kind of what you're looking for in a film. It's taste and what you're looking for. I, I think, yeah, if you want something a bit more written, a bit more uh, thematically hefty, mm-hmm. that's what Nightcrawler is. Nightcrawler is. I don't want to say conventional, but it is a bit more like there is dialogue. There are characters that you could break down and themes that kind of are developed in the film. Not saying that Drive doesn't, but Drive is a bit more poetic about it. It is a difference between a poem and a short story. And and here's the thing. Don't get me wrong. I typically love short stories. Like, I prefer them. Mm-hmm. I'm not really a big poet guy. Okay. <laughs> I mean, surprise. I don't think nobody is. Not surprised. Not no. surprised. Gun to my head, I don't think I can name a poem. Fire and Ice? That's not a poem, is it? Yeah, it's a frost poem. I don't even know poems, and you're bringing in Song of Fire and some... I don't know, man. I think that's what it's called, because that's what the Game of Thrones books were were called, named after. You mentioned that, and I was thinking Game of Thrones. I didn't even know a poem. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's like some, some think the world will end in fire, some think it'll end in ice. I don't give a fuck. (laughs) The Raven... Edgar Allan Poe? Oh, was that a poem? I think that was a short story. I don't know. Now you got me confused. The, the point is to highlight the fact that I don't care about poems. Mm-hmm. And yet, for some reason, or for all the reasons I mentioned, this movie resonated very heavily with me. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the beauty of watching movies. You never know which one's going to grab a hold of you and never let you go. And sometimes it's films that you didn't expect. Sometimes films that you expected it grab you and never let you go do let you go maybe you just don't love them anymore it's it's weird it's strange and that's that's why i love movies and that's and again Mm -hmm. i i walked in with zero expectations for this film and yet i had one of the best theater experiences of my life with this film and damn i just feel bad because i wish you could enjoy this film as much as i do because in the end of the day i want you i want to enjoy i want us to enjoy every film but that's not the case obviously yeah. You mentioned something before we started this part of the episode about somebody who tr- who really hated this movie. Oh, well, okay, re- real quick. I just um I want to talk a little bit about the behind the scenes. Okay. This film was made on a 50 million dollar budget, which is very 15, low end. 15, Yeah, very low end. It's not uh, nobody was paid their actual salary. Like nobody was actually paid their actual uh like salary salaries, you know, Ryan Gosling's making millions. That man did not make millions off this movie. This was kind of a weird independent art house blockbuster film. And filming car chases like that is really difficult. And they found a way to do it. Cause even you like the, the driving scenes, they achieved it using something called the biscuit rig, the biscuit junior rig. <laughs> so, there was a movie. There was a movie called Sea Biscuit with uh, Tobey Maguire. Oh, Sea Biscuit! Yeah, mm-hmm. he's blind in one eye. <laughs> I've only seen that movie one time. Same. Um, but there are some close-ups <laughs> of Tobey Maguire riding the horse. Well, what they did was they put a mechanical horse on this platform, and on this platform there was like a little, like cockpit kind of thing. This little sidecar, if you will. And someone would get in that little pit, drive around, and it looked like they were riding a horse or on a movie, right? It's kind of like a process car. A process car is like a you put a car on a platform, and then another car pulls it. 
but that's not really doable when you have these action action chase sequences. What the the Biscuit Junior does, it's it's the same technology from Sea Biscuit, but it's applied to something a bit more intense. The reason it's really convenient is because it could be modified. You can move the cockpit anywhere you want within this little rig. And this rig can go fucking fast. It could go it could reach up to 100 miles per hour. And it has 400 horsepower. It has a V8 Cadillac engine. Damn. Right? And this thing is wild. They have some behind the scenes footage of it where you see the driver driving right next to the, he's right next to the car, right? They're filming their close-ups. And he talks about, they asked him, what was one of your favorite scenes filming? Wait, who, who said? His name is Robert Nagel, right? He mm-hmm. served like as a race car strength driver for a bunch of movies. The Dark Knight, Rises, Drive. He's been in a bunch of stuff. And they okay. asked, and they talked to him about this biscuit rig, right? Mm-hmm. This biscuit junior rig and kind of some of the movies that they've used it on. And they asked him, which was your, which was your favorite stunt? Which was your favorite scene using this rig? And he said, "Oh, the mid, the mid, uh, the mid film scene chase sequence in Drive." He said that was his favorite scene to film. If you remember, he he turns 180 degrees, Ryan Gosling, and then he's yeah. driving in reverse. He mm-hmm. said that he was able to film all. They weren't typically that would have been really difficult to film. Film all the close-ups of Ryan Gosling's character driving that. Yeah, but they were able to easily get it because of the way the rig works. It's modular. So uh-huh. they could put the piece wherever they want because it's so powerful. He could do all these turns and all these 180s and stuff like that easily. Or not easily, but easier than before. And they would go on to use this rig in a bunch of different other stuff. In Captain America Civil War, in uh, one of your favorite films, Baby Driver. Nice. And I just think it's really amazing that this, that we've gone to the point in filmmaking where we could use... The technology is advanced so much that even a fifteen a rig that was built for a fifteen dollar fifteen million dollar film can be can be used in films with budgets of upwards two hundred million. That's insane, isn't it? That is pretty wild. But one of the I mentioned it slightly earlier before, but we could get into it now. Um, it's funny because your you know your criticism one of your early criticisms of it was it wasn't what I was expecting it. And that very much reminds me of someone else who did not expect the movie to be the way it was. Was she a part of the movie? No, she was not. She was a she was a ca- casual movie going watcher, and she watched the film and was not happy with it. She said that this is her quote: "Drive bore very little similarity to a chase or race action film, having very little driving in the motion picture." That was what the suit. That was what the lawsuit said. Lawsuit? She filed a lawsuit against the movie. Because what? the trailer was not what she was expecting. What? She filed a lawsuit against the movie. Drive was a motion picture that substantiate, substantially contained extreme gratuitous, defamatory, dehumanizing racism directed against members of the Jewish faith and thereby promoted <laughs> criminal <laughs> violence against members of the Jewish faith. No. That, no. The suit would go on to say that as well. So she fired she she filed a lawsuit against the movie because it wasn't Fast and the Furious and because it had defamatory, dehumanizing violence against people of the Jewish faith. 
Because Ryan, Ron Perlman's character is Jewish? He's half Jewish. He's half Jewish. Who's try- It's funny because even Ron Perlman describes it as he, my character is half a Jewish kid trying to be an Italian mobster. That's what she's at, upset at. And she's saying, Deming is seeking a refund for her movie ticket in addition to halting the production of misleading movie trailers in the future. My God. The plaintiff intends to turn her individual case into a class action lawsuit, thereby allowing fellow moviegoers an opportunity to share in the settlement, reports Detroit WDIV TV. She sued the movie over the trailer not being like the movie. Do you want to know what happened? How it ended? How did it end? We don't know because as of 2017, it was still going on. <laughs> Why? And it oh gets, my god! They weren't able, or some a judge dismissed it, right? Okay. The judge dismissed the lawsuit, and so I it think, is over. Well, and then they went to an appeals court, and I think they dismissed it. But I think now the lawyer who was representing her, Martin H. Leaf is still filing uh he's still filing claims against the film and he has named oh not just God. the film but uh, oh here after further attempts for reconsideration and a petition to the Michigan Supreme Court leaf this past June filed a new lawsuit in federal court he's now representing himself and the list of defendants has grown thanks to an alleged conspiracy among them oh my god drive director nicholas reffin actor albert brooks sony pictures netflix amazon.com apple google and amc so they're suing all these people leaf is suing all of them because of a anti-semitic conspiracy theory conspiracy theories need to be fucking canceled i'm so tired of them (laughs) yep I miss when it was just Bigfoot, you know? <laughs> Those were the easy days, but now... Oh, I mean, my this was, God. Like, this was back in 2017, so I don't think nothing ever... I don't think anything actually happened. This is some shit I'd expect from, like, a Star Wars fan or something. Who who cares enough about this movie to sue the... Ugh. Yeah, so it started off with loss, as a lawsuit against Film District for how they distributed the film with the trailer, and now it's about a anti-semitic conspiracy theory against amazon and apple and amc and google wait did you say albert brooks too albert albert brooks too isn't he jewish wait is he i'm pretty i'm pretty sure he's jewish wait brooks was born albert lawrence einstein into a jewish show business family in beverly hills (laughs) he's jewish (laughs) what the fuck God damn. Oh my god. So that's who you sound like, Austin. You sound no, like No, it's not. <laughs> it's not. Absolutely. I resent those those claims. Yeah. The movie was not like Fast and the Furious, so she sued this movie. But it's weird that she the claims were it's racist because it's anti-Semitic, right? Well, I'm like no. Oh my god. Serious. But there, there, like, if you're gonna accuse it of racism, there is one thing. There's one thing in the original novel. Irene's character was Latina. Irina. That was, yeah, Irina and, was her name. And uh, so, like, I was reading more about 
Nicholas uh, Ruffin in an interview with IndieWire. He he's this is the quote. Uh, there he was asked, "At what point do you populate that archetypal story with specific details to preserve the core idea while adding in idiosyncrasies that distinguish and enhance your characters?" His response: "Well, that becomes almost I, almost the technical design, the DNA and structure and design of the movie. But a lot of it, of course, comes from the casting. It's about finding the right people for the right parts. It's huge because once you have that." have the backbone and that's the reason it was so hard for me to find an irene for example who originally in james solace's novel was a latin character and i met with so many great latin actresses but for some reason i couldn't connect i couldn't feel and i didn't know why until carrie came into my life that i could see <laughs> that i could see that i could fall in love and i wanted to protect her and that's why in the end Essentially, I was making a movie about what I would do and the purity of love between my wife and myself. The quote goes on, but honestly, the more I read from him, the less I like the movies. <laughs> so I'll just end it there. He, look, look, to be on his side, I like the casting of Carrie Mulligan. I, again, I very much believe that her and Ryan Gosling have chemistry. And here's another thing, too. And so I've been following this director since Drive. Mm -hmm. uh, since 2011, I've kept up with all of his other projects. Only God Forgives, Neon Demon. And I read a lot of interviews with him. And he definitely suffers from foot in mouth disorder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I love it's... him. I love him very much. I, I think and I think he is very he's he's a very cool guy. But if you see some of the interviews with him, he's like, huh, OK. Oh my God! The stuff Again, that he says later. Do you want to hear what he says later? <laughs> I, do, I don't. I don't want to. <laughs> okay. Oh, it's so funny though. Um, let's get to our quotes, and then we'll finish this episode up. So, at the end of our episodes, we like to come up with quotes that best summarize how we feel about the movie. The quote is when when the driver helps. Uh, Irene and Benicio with the groceries. She kind of like goes off to the bathroom and he's like alone with Benicio. And Benicio's like looking at him and his style. And then <laughs> the driver says, Do you want a toothpick? And then gives him a toothpick. Because the driver always has a toothpick in his mouth because mm -hmm. he doesn't do cigarettes. It's just a style thing, right? And that's what I think this movie has a lot of. It's probably the best part of this movie. It's the style. It's the aesthetic. And it, that, that quote made me laugh. I, I laughed too. That's a really good <laughs> You want a toothpick? <laughs> um, so I have three of my favorite quotes. Uh, oh my God. I, 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 I like, man, I, I like this movie, so I'm allowed three quotes, damn it. Uh, they don't okay. really summarize how I feel about the movie. They just, just know that I really like these three, three pieces of dialogue. One of them isn't even a piece of dialogue, but one of them is... It's by Bernie. Uh, when Shannon is talking to him, he's like, if I had the money, I'd back it myself. And the way Albert Brooks delivered this line always gets to me. It's like that line from Scott Pilgrim. Oh, uh, Scott Pilgrim for the world. He's got some battle scars, dude. <laughs> it's kind of like that line. Uh -huh. Albert Brooks says, yeah, but you don't have the money. And I don't know why, but I always laugh at that scene. Just, I there's just something about he's, the way he says, like, uh -huh. yeah, but you don't have the money. It's just like, 
it just always stuck with me. I've never forgotten that line. The second favorite one is actually from Nino. Oh, uh, is you, it about you, the car? Oh, yeah. You, of course, <laughs> man. They're, they're talking about the stock car that they paid and how they put in 300000 And he's like, fuck that. If I have 300000 am I spending $300,000 on a car? I'm going to let everyone know it. And then he sees like a really nice car in the garage. And he's like, now this, that is one motherfucking fine ass pussy mobile motherfucker. Damn. <laughs> and he says it like that. And the way he moves around as he says it too, it's like, oh my God. <laughs> he's like, he's like gyrating his hips. <laughs> like a child. Fine ass pussy mobile motherfucker. It was, I love that scene. Mm-hmm. I love that quote. But one of my favorite one of my favorite uh, lines from the movie is actually from a song. Uh, this movie has a lot of great songs. I love them. And it's one that kind of highlights the film. And it's from my favorite moment of the film. It's, I think, what makes me so interested in about the driver, why I connected with him, why I loved him. And it's, it's, the, it's from the song um, Real Hero by Electric Youth. And the lyrics go, a real human being and a real hero. And I really like that. I like the song. I like the line. I like where it's placed. I like when it comes up when they're driving through the L.A. River. And at the very end, the film ends with that song. And man, look, I'm going to sound like a cliche bitch. But you have no many times. You have no idea how many times I've driven at night, Austin, with that song on. That was kind of how they came up with this movie. Like he went in a, on a drive with Ryan Gosling and they're like in their car in L.A. and listening to music that they think would be appropriate for the movie. So, yeah, it's all about like being in your car. The sound is all about being in your car, isolated from everybody else driving at night. Yeah, and I'm I, I love it. I love it. And it just it, it, it makes me really happy. So that's my quote. A real human being and a real hero. Nice. Ryan Gosling's my hero. My <laughs> hero. My hero. Oh. Uh, there's this there's this band called Gunship. And they have this. Oh. Al- have you heard them? Yeah. I, Gunship. Yeah. Dude, this got me into synth wave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dude, I love that tech noir song and revel in your time. Yeah. Oh, so revel good. in your time. Uh, so tech noir has a reference to Terminator. Yeah, because it's the name of the bar. And I think John Carpenter is in the beginning reading something. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, so if you like the music and drive, maybe check out Gunship's first album, Gunship. Oh, check out. 2015. Check out Gunship. Check out Electric Youth. uh, College. Check out Kavinsky. I mean, the music Mm -hmm. is going to, you're going to get into a bunch of synth wave. I love the music. Thank you very much for listening, guys. Hope you enjoyed it. What are we what are we uh, watching next? Do you remember? Yes, we are. We're going to be watching another modernish film. Wow, we've we've really kept it in the in the 2000s. We're going to be watching District 9. Nice. It is I love this movie as well. It, I it, did too. It's one of my favorites as well. Uh not top 3. But it's nice. it's still high up. And we're going to have a special guest on for that episode. Awesome. If you haven't already, you can follow us on Instagram at retrograde underscore pod on Twitter at retrograde underscore pod. We have a Facebook. We have a YouTube retrograde podcast. 
Um, and yeah, give us follows, subscribes, or whatever. Don't forget to rate our podcast if you like it. Um, if you like Drive, you know, don't don't get angry that I didn't like it. Don't don't punish us in the reviews. Punish I'll- him. <laughs> punish him. Uh, cause, yeah, because George liked it. So, and this is one of his top three movies. Mm-hmm. By punishing me, be punishing him. No, 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 because no, we're no, a no. unit. We're together. No, no, no. You would make me very happy. Anyway, see you in two weeks. Bye, bye.